Men never want to see you cry, Rach. It makes them uncomfortable. Stace, I don't have it. But you said you did. I don't have it. I don't know. I, I lost a bunch of stuff when I left Jason, and I guess I forgot about it until now. Stacy shakes her head. Ah, oh, I hate when you say his name. I swear, if I ever see that guy, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. It's fine, Rach. Like I said, men hate seeing a woman cry. Rachel and Stacy are sitting in Rachel's car, a cherry red 1986 Honda Civic. Rachel asked Stacy to show her the Hollywood sign up close. She'd never seen it like that before. So after standing next to the big H and taking a few more Polaroids than were strictly necessary, the girls enjoyed the view. Oh, isn't it beautiful? What, all the smog and silicone? Well, the magic, I guess. The magic that happens there. You know how many people around the world dream of this place? They enjoyed the view. At least Rachel did anyways. And they headed back to their car for the 101. The police officer who pulled Rachel over for driving erratically returns from his vehicle with her license. To avoid oncoming traffic, the officer approaches the passenger side where Stacy is sitting. He leans his head down to see their worried faces. Did you locate your insurance, ma'am? He says, looking at Rachel. Rachel freezes, struggling to get a word out, when Stacy suddenly bursts into tears. Oh, I'm, I'm such an idiot, officer. It's my fault, you see. I left a nail polish in her glove box, and I guess it kind of exploded in this crazy heat. It was like a horror movie in there. And, and I promise I'd get her the... Oh, officer... She may have gone a little overboard with the crime. Ma'am. Ma'am, lower your voice. Stacy takes a deep breath and wipes away her tears. Next time, do not leave home without your insurance. Yeah, yes, officer. Thank you, officer, Rachel says as he walks away. She looks over to Stacy to see the big grin on her face. You're a smart girl, Rach. But I can teach you a thing or two about this town. Last time, we met Rachel and Stacy, aspiring Hollywood actresses. We also met Stacy's late boyfriend the car king, John Stone. There was Vinny, the Italian boss, and his soldiers, Mickey and Ronnie. And there's Bob. Bob is an ex-cop who's working as a PI and seems to be very interested in this case. Let's not forget Max and Trevor, early 20s wannabe criminals, and their plans to get inside the safe of John Stone's now-widowed wife, Terry. When we met these guys, they were already at the Rhino with some type of package having been approached by two Mexican gangbangers. Mr. Thirsty people everywhere prefer ice-cold Pepsi-Cola. Well, all I do is make them just as good as a can. What did you seek for Mr. Pancake Man? A sample of them, ladies. One from each pan. There's more in the oven. 
Max and Trevor are at the Widow Terry's home. They're both wearing ill-fitting thrift store suits in different shades of brown and worn out black leather shoes, newly shined. After a bit of convincing and a flash of their fake badge, Terry, still in a state of shock, agreed to let them come in and discuss her situation. The three are sitting in her kitchen talking. Ma'am, we're here to help. We were informed of the situation and came down here to offer any assistance we could. Yes, I see, the widow says. One thing we do know from experience is that you need to be upfront with us. Any information regarding your home or assets? Basically, help us help you. Now, some bad guys come in to clean up the mess they started with your husband. There's no telling what they'll do. But I've got you for protection, haven't I? I thought I gave all the information to the officers before. Uh, that's true, ma'am. But we'd like to hear it again from you. Well... I'm not sure where to start. Assuming someone does come back, what do you think they're going after? The safe? We heard something about a safe. What kind of safe are we talking about, ma'am? Well, it's it's in the back office. Max and Trevor look towards the office, then at each other. The back office, okay. What have we got in there? Terry stares blankly ahead. Ma'am, are you still with us? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, contracts, legal things, property deeds? Any cash or other valuables? Well, some. Max looks at Trevor. Should we have a look? Let's have a look. You stay with her. Max heads towards the back office as Terry watches. The knee-high safe is hidden under a cloth. Max bends down and inspects the safe, then goes back to the kitchen and pulls Trevor aside. It's there. So, so what do we do? We need her to talk. Okay, let's, let's tie her up. What? Let's tie her up. We found it. It's not open, dude. She's not going to help us if she's tied up. Dude, it's a safe, okay? We'll just get a fucking crowbar. Wait, wait. I gotta play They go back to Terry in the kitchen and sit down. Okay, ma'am. We've seen this kind of thing a million times. This wasn't about power or territory. It wasn't about you or your husband. They just wanted what was in the safe. Believe it or not, these groups have a standard procedure for this sort of thing. Let's say a criminal organization needs something. A blackmail document some kind of payoff could be anything they send in a couple throwaway guys at the very least they get a read on the place okay we think that's what happened here ma'am whoever sent those guys here isn't giving up and next time they're coming back guns a-blazing oh dear the widow says we already lost your husband whatever's in that safe we need to get it out
come on down to the Rhino. We've got the best girls in town. Cut. Are you fucking serious? Sorry. We just need a little more mm, intensity. Intensity. Kid, I've been doing this since before you were... I created intensity while you were still wetting the bed. Let's just try it again, okay? Uh, Okay. Got a wife, a life, and a job? Responsibilities suck. Screw it. Come on down to the Rhino and live a little. Ugh, that sounds stupid. Who wrote this horse shit? Let's just try it again, okay? Woo! Ah, you know, it's... She's paging me. Can I use your phone? Babe, are you okay? What? Oh, but I thought we had... They're not the right kind? Yeah. Yeah, it's not the same. You're you're right. I'll pick him up. Babe, I'll pick him up, okay? Yeah. Ruffles. Vinny, our Italian West Coast boss, is led into the rhino with a nod from the bouncer. He walks around the corner and into the staff room where the same stripper that approached Bob, Mount Lee, is sitting and smoking. Several other girls are doing their makeup and changing. Vinny, Mount Lee says as she gives him a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Hey, sweetheart. I didn't know you were coming in tonight. Lisa's got the night off. Ah, it's no problem. I'm just stopping by. Can I get you something to drink? I won't be staying long. How's Sunny Boy treating you? Vincent pokes his head out the back room door and sees the Mexican gangbangers Puppet and Spider still talking with Max and Trevor. He sits back down with Mount Lee. Sunny Boy? Ah, he's okay. Just okay? busy street just outside of West Hollywood, there's a worn out boxing gym called Leo's. The boxer is practicing with his coach while Mickey and Ronnie are staring at a beat up old vending machine. Ronnie shakes the machine as the boxer strikes hard with the right. He shakes it again, this time from front to back, while the boxer steps and nails an uppercut with the left, knocking his partner down. Ronnie's funions, however, were left hanging. Okay, okay, let's go. Move your head. Move your head. That's it. Now pop him. Pop him. Good. Come on. Come on. More to the body. Now move. What can I say? 
It's my wife's brother. The guy's unreliable. Ronnie lightly backhands Mickey on the arm. Unreliable? This is business, you blockhead. I know it's business, but it's my wife's brother for Christ's sakes. What do you want me to do? I know he's an asshole. Don't drop your left. You're letting him ride in. You're letting him in. The vending machines ain't getting refilled. Hey, every time some kid goes up with his dollar looking for a candy bar, we're losing to the towel heads at the corner store. That's money. Am I missing something here? You're the guy who's always talking about- Listen, listen. I told the guy five times already. Told the guy. I think you're getting soft, Mickey. Don't go soft on me. Mickey and Ronnie turn around to see the boxer and his sparring partner walking back to their corners. Alright, son. That was better. Just remember, you have to keep your guard up. The way you're holding your left hand, it just you're just leaving the chin open all day. Ronnie puts his arm around Mickey and they walk off as the boxing coach cleans up his area, picking up rags and a spit bucket. On the other side of the gym, Vincent is sweating, laying on his back doing bench presses. Mickey and Ronnie walk up to him. Come on, Vincent. Only a few more to go. You got this. 17, 18, 19, 20. Damn, Vinny. You still got it. Vincent sits up on the bench press, breathing hard. Ronnie hands him a towel, and he wipes his forehead. Okay, okay, settle down. How'd that kid look? You mean the kid training with Gary? No, I'm talking about fucking De Niro. Who do you think I'm talking about? Wow, boss. I think he's a bit underdeveloped. I mean, he's got a mean right hook and all, but, but his mechanics are shit. You think he'll make it to the fourth round on Saturday? That's some tough action to take, boss. You guys, go and talk to Gary. Make sure we're on the same page. You hear anything about that thing? No, not yet, Vincent. We're waiting on a call at this point. Okay, let me know. We can't afford to wait much longer. Vincent gets up and walks to the locker room while Mickey and Ronnie go and find Gary. Vincent comes out of the shower and gets dressed, rubbing his chest with a pained expression as Tony the Ring walks in. Vinny, Frankie's on the phone. Hey, hey, uh, you all right there? <sighs> okay, okay. Vincent walks out of the locker room with his shirt still open. Tony is holding the phone receiver attached to the wall. He hands it to Vincent. Yeah. Vince. Frankie, it's me. I ain't heard from you in a week. How's things? Eh, I've been busy. Some of the guys out from, uh, out east. That's good. That's real good. I got, uh, half my boys here running, uh, favors for hotel suites at, uh, magic shows. Let them worry about their own fucking rooms. Vince, what are you doing? I'm in the gym, Frankie. You called me. Right, right. Vinny, I need you to take care of something for me. About our little big-headed trouble cousin. You mean our car guy? Yeah, him. Listen, I'm getting word he's uh, no longer in action. I need you to get me something of his. Sure thing, Frankie. What do you need? 
Mr. Pop. Hey, Columbus, we can't turn back without an order from you. I'm not talking while the flavor lasts. What are you chewing? Peach nut gum? We could be in for a long voyage. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out for... Cigarette hangover. That stale, musty, smoked-out taste in your mouth. Cigarette hangover. That tight, dry, uncomfortable feeling in your throat. Cigarette hangover. That's what takes the joy out of smoking. And when that happens to you, it's time to switch to Philip Morris. Remember, over two million more smokers have switched to Philip Morris. Bob's driving his faded gray 1984 Cutlass Supreme, and he's sweating. It's fucking January, and it's a hot one out there. And on top of that, he's a little stressed out. He's got a big Los Angeles map open on the driver's seat, and he's shooting glances at it as if he could actually read something down there. He's been here before, but don't all these goddamn streets look alike? It was the lady with the inflatable stomach who lived near here. At least that's what Bob called her. She was faking being pregnant to convince her ex-boyfriend, some scumbag who had recently come into a boatload of money, that he was the father. That was a few years ago. Bob had a bit more spring in his step then. Meanwhile, Bob pulls over to take a closer look at the map. He hears music coming from a car down the block and turns his head to see it approaching. In fact, it's just the guys he wants to see, although he doesn't know it yet. Over at the Stone residence, Max and Trevor, in their browner-than-brown suits, are sitting in the kitchen with Terry. Her face looks to be some combination of sad, tired, and zonked out. Having spent the last 24 hours at the hospital, the morgue, and the police station, she can barely remember how she ended up sitting across from these two in her kitchen in the first place. You've heard our recommendation, ma'am. The more distance between you and what's in that safe, the better. Terry nods and walks to the office. They follow her as she bends down to open the safe. She pulls the door open and stands next to it, somber and defeated. She watches as they transfer the file folders and cash into a black duffel bag. They walk back to the kitchen where she sits down. Max sets the duffel bag on the table while Trevor steps behind her and promptly bashes the back of her head with the butt of his gun. She immediately keels over. Shit, Max says. Done. Okay, okay, let's get the fuck out of here. Bob, our ever-vigilant eye on the scene, has been parked at the Stone residence since they went inside. He followed Max and Trevor and sat waiting and smoking outside the house as the sun was starting to set. He's parked about a block behind their car, staring at it intently. Max and Trevor come running out of the house in a hurry, carrying a black bag. They get in, start the car, and drive off. Bob throws out his cigarette, starts walking towards the house, his eyes never leaving the gaze of the front door. Shit, he says. He slowly walks into the house, uncertain if Terry is tied up or detained somehow, or worse. 
Bob finds Terry face down on the kitchen floor. He runs his hand through his hair, stressed. In the back office, he sees the open safe with nothing inside. He covers his hand with a handkerchief and reaches in to make sure. Bob quickly gets out of there, walks briskly to his car, gets in, and thinks. Flashback to an early 1940s radio, one of those beautiful amber honey-colored units with flowing curves. The thin red needle was Bob's compass, his connection to the world, his source of entertainment and dreams. The sound, unclear at first, slowly fades in. Old-timey cowboy voices are heard on the program as young Bob sits up cross-legged and curious, listening intently. And why did you pay her a visit? We only wanted to help, Marshal. Wanted to help, eh? You wanted to help yourself to her money. No, please. If the horses get spooked, they'll trample me. This isn't the first time, Monahan. You're wanted for murder and dodge. Cripple Creek, too. But, Marshal! Got the handbill right here. Mean Bill Monahan. That's you, isn't it? Uh, no, it, it ain't me. You thought you had a good little scheme going, preying on helpless, grieving widows? Ah! I did what any man would have done. It's not my fault. I needed the money. You needed it that bad, huh? Bad enough to kill? <sighs> ah! No! <sighs> you know, Bill, I've got to open this gate to get on out of here. No, please! Help me, Marshal. I suppose the horses are going to do what they're going to do. Marshal, I I swear. You've brought a lot of trouble and heartache to a lot of people, Bill. But you know, trouble's a funny thing. It's only a matter of time before it catches up to you. No! Join us every Thursday on Death Carries a Colt, where Marshal Floyd Brown gives in to no man. His iron-cold stare and quick draw leave the rustlers and hustlers trembling in their boots. Death Carries a Colt is sponsored by Pepsodent. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. When the program ends, Bob's mom calls him. Bobby, honey, your dinner's getting cold. Okay, mom. Bobby, you shouldn't have the radio on too loud. It's not good for you. Yes, mom. Mom? Yes, Bobby? Why do people do bad things? Uh, well, Bobby... Sometimes in this world, you have to make decisions, and those decisions have consequences. You may not know it's bad at the time. Some people don't know any better at all. They were raised bad, but you were meant for good. She rubs Bob's hair. Now go ahead. 
eat your supper, and afterwards, you'll get a patty cake cookie for dessert. Meanwhile, Terry lay there on her kitchen floor, having met the same fate as her husband John. A pair of cops showed up and went inside guns drawn. They called for paramedics, pushed the neighbors aside, and taped up the scene. Terry had gone to see her psychic the week before, but she failed to mention any of this. Well, even a brain surgeon can make a mistake. I'm afraid that's all the time Terry has, and that's all the time we have today. So bring proof of insurance and join us again next time as we learn how to survive in L.A.